Hi everyone. We have just finished up week three and I wanted to kind of just touch base with you a little bit before we move on to week four. We are now officially through the halfway point of our study and I hope that you are just really learning more about Jesus, more about yourself, um, more about the ways that he desires to communicate with you and I am praying for you to um, just continue to grow and learn throughout the second half of this study. We just finished learning about the woman that was caught in adultery, and last week's video touched on some of this um, in a similar way, but I did want to continue to share a little bit um, of my heart for the reason why I wrote on the woman caught in adultery. And you'll notice in the book, she's not called called the woman caught in adultery, she called she's called woman. And... I think if I had said woman caught in adultery, you would have immediately known who she was. But I didn't do that for a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, throughout uh, history, scholars have called her that. And we've heard sermons of her called that. And um, we've learned about her as that. And my hesitation with that is I have, um, although I've not been involved specifically in committing adultery, I have been somebody that has been guilty of sin. We all have. And I thought about how I would feel if I was being uh, associated and named, you know, the woman caught in jealousy or the woman caught in, you know, what put insert sin here. And um, I think what we see after, and hopefully you've seen this after studying this whole week, is that Jesus has a different perspective. He just calls her woman. And I think what's interesting about that, if you remember back to chapter one, woman is the same term of endearment he used for his mother. And so this isn't just a disrespectful woman, get over here type type mentality, but it's a, a compassionate, um, loving way to address her. And I thought about my own heart and my own posture when I was entrenched in sin. And, you know, the thing about sin is very little of us start off with the intention of sinning. Um, it's not like we get up in the morning and we say, okay, well, I'm going to sin today. Maybe some of us do, but hopefully not if you're doing this Bible study. I know I never do. However, that's the thing about sin is it draws us in and, and in a lot of ways we feel, feel powerless to overcome it. And so I, I think back through times in my own life when I was kind of caught up in sin. Um, you know, when I was little, I lived with my grandparents a lot for most of the, most of the time. And I, I remember very clearly there was uh, two little angels that she had, little angel figurines. And I was probably maybe six or seven. I was really little. And so one of the angel figurines had a little bit of a broken wing that she had glued it back together. And the other angel was, was fine. And I remember just being enamored and laying on the floor because she had this little coffee table that she had them on. And I was laying on the floor just staring at these little angels. And I said, Nana, I would really, really love to have one of these angels for my room. And she said, okay, you can have the one that has the broken wing. And it's just as beautiful. I fixed it. And so she gave me that angel. I put it next to my bedside table. And I waited till that night. That night... I snuck downstairs and I replaced the broken angel for the whole angel and I brought the whole angel up to my room hello she made my bed every day I don't know what I was thinking however um, it was later that day and um, she called me downstairs and she said Rachel come here I want, I want to talk to you about something and she sat me down next to her on a little bench she had against the wall and she had both angels in her hand and she said 
I found one of these next to your bed. And immediately I know all the color drained out of my face. And she said, what I don't understand is that the wrong one was next to your bed. And I just immediately started crying. I was caught red-handed. I mean, there was no getting out of it. And I loved Nana so much that I hated the fact that I hurt her or I disobeyed her. Except the allure and really the sin drew me in to the point where I was willing to ignore my emotions about her or my desire to be obedient to her. I was willing to ignore that because the voice of sin was so much louder. And so in that moment, she didn't say to me, Rachel the thief. And I was not from then on known as Rachel the thief. Um, instead, what she did is she sat down and she spent a lot of time explaining to me the value of those angels, who gave them to her, why they were precious to her, how much I meant to her, how I was precious to her, how she wanted to share them with me, but that how there was limitations. Um, and that eventually when I was older, I would be allowed to have the, the nice one. And so what I remember clearly in that scenario, even in my tiny little six-year-old brain, was that Nana sat with me until I understood. And she did that because she loved me. And it wasn't just she was going to say, you know, you shouldn't steal. You'll go to jail one day if you steal. Instead, she sat down to explain it to me in a way that I can understand and I would remember. And to this day, I've never stolen again. Thank God that wasn't the beginning of a, of a crime spree. Um, but what I remember is that posture of truth and grace. I definitely was guilty. But she met me in my guilt with love and grace. That is the emotion I feel when I read this story and I and we read about how Jesus meets this woman where she's at. This week we talked about the traditional stoning that was a punishment in, in first century Jewish cultures. And if you haven't read it yet, I would encourage you to go back and read it. Um, it's, it was a pretty harsh way to deal with that sin. And the other thing I think it's important to point out is especially in the kind of sin that she was involved in, she was not alone in her sin. However, she was the one that was caught red-handed. And I think about that in terms of how we can sometimes be led into sin by other people, but ultimately we have to take responsibility for our own role. And the reality is, is we are all guilty. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need Jesus. There's no escaping that in this world. But there's also the ability to walk in grace, knowing who Jesus is, and knowing the reasons why he has us to be obedient. And when we exchange that moment of guilt and shame that comes with the guilt, that those feelings, for the truth of who Jesus is, who he says we are, who he calls us to be, it's that relationship with him that forgiveness that he offers us that then empowers us to move into the next season with grace and walking in obedience through that relationship with Jesus. And like I've said throughout this study, I wish this was a one-time thing. I wish we could just say, okay, I met Jesus. I'm not going to sin anymore. And, uh, you know, maybe for some sins it is like that. But do I still get jealous? Yeah. Do I still, um, I wish I could say I don't lie, but, um, you know, if you have kids and they do, like my, my daughter did my hair and I, I would have crushed her if I said it was ugly. But, you know, it's those kinds of white lies, white lies that we uh, trick ourselves into thinking that it's okay to say. Um, 
I'm not an advocate of lying to our kids at all, but if you've been human for any length of time, you realize that it's not as easy as just saying, okay, I'm not going to sin anymore. What I think we have to do, and this is a practice that we've gotten away from, is there's two things. I think um, accountability and confession are, are some things that we really need to make sure that we are doing. Um, confession is a practice that is not largely practiced in most evangelical churches. However, we see that throughout the scriptures, and, and we know that God calls us to that. But yet, we are hesitant to confess um, because of the, the cancel culture, especially, that we live in right now. Um, but but I, I would encourage you to find somebody that you can trust that not only offers you accountability, but offers you the opportunity to confess your sin. Ultimately, the goal is to confess that sin to the Lord so he can deal with it. And that's an ongoing process. It's that living water that we talked about a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week. My heart for you is that we will move into the second half of this study, realizing that all of us are guilty. We can't escape that. But we all have access to Jesus, who cleans us up from that mess. My grandfather, um, <laughs> when we were little, um, he loved the red pistachios. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, I don't know why, if they dye them or what it is, if they're naturally like that. But pistachios, or at least where we're from, are, are nuts that you can either get green. They're all green inside, I think. You can get green pistachios or red pistachios. But when you eat the red pistachios, they make a mess. Red all over your hands, um, on your clothes, if you get it on your clothes. And my grandfather, he just loved red pistachios. And I, I just even remember things like my Nana saying, okay, Frank, don't eat any pistachios before dinner because we're going to eat here in a little bit. And then he would come to the dinner table, literally caught red-handed with pistachio stain all over his hands. And, you know, if it was the season where he was eating a lot of pistachios, he went everywhere with red-stained hands. And there was no getting around it. He was literally red-handed from eating the pistachios before dinner. And even though it's a, that's a somewhat humorous way to think about it, um, we're all touched by sin. Everything that we touch is touched by sin because that's the reality of the fallen world we live in. But we don't have to live in that place in the sense of, of feeling the weight and the shame of our guilt. Taking those things to Jesus, that's how we get to a place where we can climb out of some of that sin. Because he's the one, remember, he's the one that takes it from us. Takes it from us. He snatches it away. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. As the deliverer, as the Messiah, he snatches away those things that we can't give up on our own. But that continual process, it's a daily process of renewal, a daily process of coming to Jesus and saying, hey, I messed up. And, and he doesn't look at you in your mess and say, well, you lost your temper today, so Rachel, you're now uh, Rachel the angry woman. That's not what he says. He says, give it to me. I love you. Don't do it anymore. And inevitably, I'm going to do it again. But th thankfully, um, the relationship I can still have with God through Jesus is what gives us the grace to keep moving forward. The goal is as we progress throughout our lives and we become closer to Jesus, we become more like him and we will sin less and less or struggle less and less with those things. But I want to go back to John 15. Um, we've, we've said it a couple times throughout this study. We get to a place where we understand that we are powerless against this sin that keeps us trapped. And, and John chapter 15 talks about the vine. And apart from him, we can do nothing.
apart from him, we can do nothing. So it becomes a process of continually renewing our hearts, renewing our minds through our relationship with Christ. The thing about sin is it's a stain that we can't get rid of on our own. I remember um, a couple years ago, I got a really nice shirt, a favorite t-shirt. We were on vacation in Disney World, and I got a t-shirt, and I loved it. And the first time I wore it, after I was home, I wasn't thinking. I was cleaning up the kitchen, and I had bleach spray. I sprayed down the, the kitchen counter, and as I did, I got a little bit of bleach on my shirt. And oh, I was so upset with myself. It was expensive, and it was a happy memory. And um, so it was on the black spot. So I took a black Sharpie, and I took just, you know, colored over the, this, the bleach spots. And I thought, okay, problem solved. Except two or three more times after I washed it, guess what? That permanent marker, permanent, started to fade, and the bleach spots came back. So I would touch them up again, and those bleach spots would come back. That happened over and over again to the point where I just eventually gave up and just let them stay bleached. The stain of sin is there in our lives. We can try to cover it up on our own. But they, it will not be completely wiped clean until we give it to Jesus, until we meet him where we're at, and we sit down with him long enough to understand and as he teaches us the best way to move forward, that's what deals with our sin. That you, that sincere interaction with Christ, that's what deals with our sin. Because the reality is, is we cannot deal with it on our own. We might try to cover it up. Or we might pretend it's not there. But that stain follows us around. And it keeps us from a relationship with God. The reconciliation that we can have only comes Jesus. Sin is definitely a barrier to our relationship with God. And this week we talked a lot about our own relationship with God and the, the barriers of sin that keep us from abiding close with Christ. But I want to go a little bit farther. And we did talk about this a little bit last week. But I want to talk about it in terms of how we see others. The tendency we have, deep down, if we're honest with ourselves, is to judge, judge other people in their own sin. We have, for a long time, served in a community where the opioid epidemic is really high. And even walking through Walmart, um, it's not uncommon, uncommon to see somebody high, out of their mind, off of drugs, just acting like a crazy person. And um, it used to be really easy to just put that person in a certain category and, and judge them and say, you know what, they, they're, they're nuts, stay away from them. I remember probably about five years ago, I took my daughter to McDonald's. It was a half day of school for her. And my other girls had to stay in school full time for the, till the rest of the day. So I took her to McDonald's. We don't normally go to McDonald's. And it was in a part of town we don't normally go to. And so we went into McDonald's. I took her and her little friend. Um, and we got our Happy Meals and our ice cream. And we were sitting at the table just enjoying our, our, our meal together. And sitting across the room from me was um, a transgender man who was transitioning into a woman and he was with a friend and he was sitting at the table very loud um very cussing a lot um 
making kind of a spectacle out of things. And you could just tell um, he was in a place of desperation. I don't know if he was on drugs or, or what else was going on. It was a very um, awkward situation. And I had these two little girls with me. And I remember praying. I said, okay, God, if you want me to, to, to reach out to him, to minister to him, I need you to open a window because I don't know what, I don't know what to do with this right now. Um, it was, because I didn't have just my daughter. I had my friend's daughter too. And my daughter is used to me doing all sorts of crazy things and talking to whoever. Um, but other people's kids, it's something different. So I remember just praying, okay, God, if you want me to reach out to him, I, I need you to open a window. And as soon as I finished praying that prayer, um, this guy shouts to me across the restaurant. He said, Hey, I'm sorry for cussing in front of your kids. I just realized you got kids and I'm really sorry. And I was like, okay, there's your window. And so I, my, the kids were eating their ice cream. And so I got up from the table and I just said to them, stay here. They were a couple feet away from me. So they were fine. And I walked over to his table and I sat down and I said, I feel like God wants to tell me, wants me to tell you something. And he just stared at me and some tears started to well up in his eyes. And I said, you know, God loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And whatever you're feeling right now, he's not too far away that he can't still reach you. And I found out through tears, through tears, stained cheeks, um, that this individual had the night before tried to commit suicide was squatting in somebody's house just living there and had been caught by the cops had run from the cops and um, ended up at McDonald's was homeless had been beaten up time and time again because our town um, had been very hostile towards him um, he wasn't able to get a spot in any of the homeless shelters because of his orientation and um, some regulations this was a couple years ago so what we had in front of us was somebody that was completely desperate and ready to take their own lives. And so I prayed for him and I invited him to church. I invited him to be part of our lives. Um, that may sound like something that you wouldn't do. Um, and in fact, there was um, an older couple in the corner of McDonald's who, you know, was whispering in hushed hush tones and pointing and glaring. And um, I wish this wasn't the case, but I recognized them as prominent church members at another church in our town. And I was the only one that reached out to this individual. So um, we became friends. And um, that relationship has not been perfect. But I don't see him the way the world sees him. I see him the way that God sees him. And so... Um, I had the opportunity to preach actually on the Samaritan woman at a local church and um, a couple of years ago. And I, I think it had been on Facebook or I don't know where it was shared. They said I was going to be speaking. And he came. And afterwards, he came up to me, tears in his eyes, and he said, I just got out of jail. This was my first Sunday to be able to come to church. And I wanted to come see you. And he said, thank you so much for sharing the story of the Samaritan woman because I said he said I, I feel like that was for me. There's a lot there. There's a lot that's going on in his heart and his mind. Um obviously. But 
if we as believers don't reach out to the lost and hurting, how do you think they're going to get to Jesus? Jesus is the only chance they have at peace, at coming out of their sin, at coming out of their suicidal mentality or their depression or their anger or their sin or whatever it is. Jesus is the only chance for that. And as believers, if we run away from that and we don't guide them to Christ, how do you think they're going to get there? They're not. And so regardless of your position on the chaos that is going on in our world right now, um, this month is Pride Month and it is in your face right now. The response of believers is not to hide inside their houses. The response of believers is to lovingly speak the truth in love and guide people to Jesus. It is not our job to clean them up. That's the job of Jesus. Our job is to get them there. I wish I could just pray one time and this individual would be healed and whole. I can't. But what I can do is continually push him towards Christ. And that posture of speaking the truth but offering love and grace has been what has guided him closer to Christ. That's my encouragement for you this week. And I'm not trying to lump all sins into one category. And I'm not saying that we all have the same sin. And I'm not putting um, suicidal, you know, drug-induced uh, jail time in the same category as jealousy. Please don't misunderstand me. What I am saying is, is that we have all been there. We have all been there and we will be there again. And if it's only one sin that separates us from God, then the reality is, is we are all guilty and should be condemned. That's why we need Jesus. And so if we ourselves are capable of doing something that could drive a wedge between us and a perfect holy God, then what right do we have to judge others that are entrenched in other sin? We don't. We don't. What we can do is point them back to Christ. What we can do is walk alongside of them and love them the way that Christ loves them. What we can do is call them by their name loved, cherished, treasured, forgiven, not by the label that the world puts on them. That's the radical kind of love that we see in the pages of scripture. And that's the thing that God calls us to. I want to pray with you before we go. And I want to pray that this week would be a week that you would not only accept the grace and the forgiveness that God offers for you, but that you would feel convicted and release the judgment that you have for other people. And instead, turn around and lead them to Christ. I'm praying for you this week. I'm praying that God would use this study in your lives. That it would use, he would use it in such a way that, that you would get it. Like he's sitting down and he's sitting with you and explaining to you his heart for his people. That's my prayer for you this week. God, thank you so much for my friends. Thank you for your word. And thank you that you speak the truth in love in a way that draws us to you instead of pushing us away. God, I pray that we would be that same light and love for people in this crazy climate that we have right now. That as believers that know and understand the hope of the gospel, 
that we would be the light in those dark places, that we would speak the truth and in love to those that are hurting and alone in the darkness, God. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't shy away from others because of their sin or because of their labels, but instead you would burden our hearts for them, God, because we understand that we were there too. In fact, we're still there sometimes. God, I pray that just a posture of grace would overwhelm our hearts in such a way that we have no choice but to reach out to others through the love that you have for them. God, I thank you for my friends this week, and I pray that you would be with them, that you would work in their hearts in an amazing way, that they would sense your presence and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll talk to you next week, guys.